Father, we come before you this morning with full hearts because we have been filled with, with blessing after abundant blessing this weekend as we've listened to your words spoken, as we've listened to the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. And Father, this morning as we discuss the power of a word-driven life, Father, I ask that your Spirit will descend upon this place in a special way, that we will understand the significance of the words of scripture. Father, I ask that you will remove me from, from this scene and that you will, you will speak through me, that you'll speak around me, that you'll speak above me. Father, that so, so that we all here can truly hear your voice this morning. This is my sincere and earnest prayer. I ask it in Jesus' name. All right, I, I invite you to open with me your scriptures to Matthew chapter 4. I hope you brought your swords with you this morning because this morning we're going to be talking about the word of God, the power of a word-driven life. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Jesus has just... has. Um, has just been baptized, and directly after being baptized, it says, starting in verse 1, picking up, it says, Then when Jesus, then was Jesus led up into the spirit, led up, excuse me, of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But Jesus answered it and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, when I, when I first read this passage, as, as I was preparing for this message, I was, I was reading it, and I read it exactly how I've read it every other time that I've read it. It's like Christ has been fasting for 40 days, right? So he's hungry, and the devil comes to him, and he uses the temptation that, that the devil believes will have the most effect the temptation of appetite. God, if, you, if you're, Jesus, if you are really the son of man, a uh, son of God, excuse me, command that these stones in the bed satisfy your hunger. And God says, Christ says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, how I was thinking is that, is that Jesus is saying, we don't, we don't live just by eating bread. I mean, bread is necessary for life, right? I, I mean, <laughs> I know. Bread is necessary for life. I have kind of a, of a concept of, of physiology, and if I don't have sugar in my, in my system, I absolutely crash. But yet Christ is saying, above and beyond that, man must live by the word of God. But you know what? I discovered something new. I discovered that the word that Christ used there, when he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, that but in the Greek is Allah. I believe I'm saying that correct for, for all the Greek students out there. I know there's, there's um, you probably know way more about the pronunciation than I do, but for now we're going to say it's Allah, okay? That word Allah. It's the same word that is used as neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Jesus said, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Lead us not in temptation, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Allah, 
deliver us from evil. In other words, it is, it is a complete contrast, contrary-wise, to what has just been said, Allah, this. So what Christ is actually saying, I believe in this passage, is he's saying that to eat bread is not life at all. To live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, that is life. Man does not find or preserve life by eating a morsel of bread for the body. Contrary-wise, he lives by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, Jesus, what, what are you saying? Now, I understand. There's life, and then there's life. I mean, there's, there's the life that I have to live in order to, to, to keep breathing, right? And by that, I, I absolutely have to have bread. I mean, bread is absolutely essential to my existence. But friends, to Jesus Christ, life was something else than this body, than breath, than this, this physical this physical body. To Jesus, life was not bread. To Jesus, it was more than this mortal existence. The purpose for which Jesus lived, the purpose for which Jesus had a body and he breathed, it was not to be able to experience what we consider life. It was to spread a knowledge of a relationship with life itself. That was life for Jesus. And so when he says to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, Allah, by every word of God. You know, I was, <laughs> on Friday night, I was listening to, to Dr. Um, Pandit's message, and he, he used a scripture, and it, it struck me between the eyes, because just two hours earlier, I had been, been on my knees praying before God what I should be sharing, and, and this, this thought came to my mind. And then Dr. Pandit, as he's sharing, he shares this verse in Job. And it was like, I, I felt like, like leaping up from my chair and saying, yes, that's it! Because I could see the truth in it. Friends, I want you to turn with me to Job chapter 23. Now this is powerful. Job is a man that God trusted so highly. He had such a close connection with him that, that there, there arose a controversy between, between the enemy and God. And God said, have you seen my servant Job? And the devil says, yes, I've seen him. But you see, you protect him. He has everything he ever wants. He's, he's full of, of this wealth. He has this, this family, and he's honored and respected in the streets. People bow down to him. Yes, I've seen your servant Job, but it's because you hedge him about. And God says, no. Job is my man. You can take everything you want from him. Save his life. So this is a man that has a serious connection with God, yes? Listen to what Job says. Job chapter 23, and let's read verses 10 through 12. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Wow. 
Job, the man that God trusted so highly that he could, he could unleash the devil's power on him and say, that man will not deny me. He will not forsake me. That man, the reason that he had that connection is because he valued God and his commandments more than his necessary food. I don't know about you, but I value food. Um, how many of you eat at least one meal a day? Okay, how many of you eat at least two meals a day? At least three meals a day? At least four meals a day? How about five? Okay, so four is where we, went, is, is where we stopped. So I guess that must be breakfast, lunch, lupper, and supper, right? Or maybe it's supper and a midnight snack. Friends, what, what God is saying here when he says we should value the word of God more than a necessary food, two times a day, actually, we, we typically eat two, two meals a day in our, in our home, um, but Mother recently put Sean and I on a mandatory third meal to try to up our body fat a little bit because we're, we're running and we're, we're losing more and more weight. And as you can tell, I can't really afford to lose any more. <laughs> but God is saying that we should value the word of God more than our daily food, than our necessary food to support this life. Amen. Friends, how many times... Do we partake of the word of God during the day? How many times? At least once? At least twice? At least three times? At least four times? Friends, if we're eating breakfast, lunch, supper, and a midnight snack, we should be eating breakfast, brunch, lunch, lupper, supper, and a midnight snack of God's word. Yay, more! That was a rebuke to me. Do we value God's word so highly above our own bodily needs? Do we, do we talk about the word of God? Do we meditate upon the, the word of God when we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise up? Do we bind them upon, do we bind them as a sign upon our hand and as frontlets between our eyes? Do we write them on the doorposts of our, of our, of our houses and our gates? You know, for the Jew, in that scripture, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 9, a scripture that we're all very familiar with. For the Jew, when, when, when he talks about binding the law of God upon the gates of his house, about wearing it as, as frontlets between his eyes, what he's really signifying, in, in a sense, is he's consecrating his dwelling place, his intellect, his physical strength, yea, life itself for the word of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, I tell you, I will tell you when the word of God will bring power to our lives, when we will truly experience what it means to live the power or to have the power of a word-driven life in our lives. It's when we're more concerned about living by every word than we are concerned about our daily bread. The greatest conquerors of old, Olympians, those that are successful in business, Christians, whether it be things of the world or, or things of the spirit, but most importantly for the Christian, those people that experience the most success in life, that, um, that present the most formidable force 
is when they're willing to, to endure personal sacrifice for a cause or for a goal. When the cause of the goal becomes more important than life itself, that makes a formidable Christian. That makes a formidable person in business. That makes a formidable conqueror. One that people cannot, cannot measure up to because they are, they are motivated by something that is deeper. By the cause. Not worried about themselves. Friends, when we get to the point where it matters not, it matters not what pain what discomfort, what jeopardy, what discipline, what inconvenience we bear in this mortal body, Allah. What matters is Jesus Christ and Him crucified revealed to a hurting world through a life. The power of the word-driven life. You know, I, when Dr. Panett was speaking yesterday, yesterday morning, um, and he was, he was talking about the cross, the scenes of Calvary. That was one of the most precious, the most um, precious explanations of Calvary that I've heard. It was beautiful to me. And I just sat in my chair and I wept aloud because how could this God do that? For me, how could he, he endure that separation? Yea, hell itself, which his definition was the breaking of that relationship, right? Friends, if we were to realize that this God, this same God that breathes forth stars, that speaks worlds into existence, this same God that has lived and will live from everlasting to forevermore, the same God that knows the end from, this, from the beginning, if we realize that this God is speaking to you, is speaking to me, and these precious words called scripture, wouldn't we listen? Wouldn't we want to pour over them and, 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 and inculcate them into our lives? You know, a, a heathen king, even heathen king, was was um, he was drawn to scripture when he realized that God was speaking to him directly. And his heart was broken. And the heathen king began to, um, to do exactly what the scriptures were foretelling. We can, tell, we can read this story. This is a powerful story. And, and it's one that, that absolutely amazes me and gives me, me tingles every time I read it. Turn with me to Ezra. Ezra chapter 1, and let's read starting in verse 1, and it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the, world, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Sorry, Judah. Who is there among, all, among you of all his people? His God be with, be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. 
And whosoever remains in any place where he sojourneth, let, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts besides the freewill offerings of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. This heathen king is saying, return. Return to the land of God and rebuild. And, and, and he's giving, giving gifts from his own treasury and saying, all those that you encounter, they should give you gifts of silver. They should give you gifts of gold. Why was this, this heathen king moved in such a way? It's because he read in the word of God prophecies concerning himself. He saw his very name there. A prophecy that had been written over 100 years earlier, inspiration tells us, in Isaiah chapter 45. This is incredible. Can you imagine being a king and you're out on the warpath, and you've, you've recently conquered a nation. And then you read in a book that is over 100 years old exactly everything that you just finished doing. And it mentions you by name. Isaiah chapter 45. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two le levied gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Let me just stop right there. How would you feel, how would I feel, if the scripture actually read, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Joshua, whose right hand I have holden, that he should go to Weimar and he should stand before my people there and proclaim the truths of the word of God. Would I pay attention? This man, it'd be like, be like, let me read more. Let me figure out what, what, what I'm supposed to do, right? Verse 2, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the barns of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and, and hidden riches of secret places. That thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel mine elect, I have called thee by thy name and I have surnamed thee. Though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. That is powerful. If we realized, or if we discovered in the word of God, a personalized word such as that, as Cyrus, as he was looking through the records and he found his name there, and he said, this God that knew what I was going to do 100 years ago, he testified to the power of God. He said that this God is the one that has made me great. This God is the one that has, that has made me ruler of all of these nations because he saw clearly the majesty of God, the wisdom of God, and how small he, the great conqueror Cyrus, really was. But friends, we too have a personalized word. It's right here in Scripture, all throughout Scripture. First Peter, let's see. Ah, there we go. How about this? First Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a peculiar people, that he should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To whom, I ask, is God writing? You might say, well, of course, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, friends, God is speaking to us. Just as much as when he gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, he was giving it to us. Study the scriptures. Study the promises of God, because for in them, God is speaking to you and me, friends, directly to you and me. If it helps you, substitute your name into the verse. We serve a personal God who has given us a personal word. If I could summarize this message, this message is not one that has like points one, two, three, four, and five that you need to write down. If there were one point that I would want you to go back with today, it would be the word is life. The word is life. What are some of the things that can sabotage the power of the word-driven life, the power of, of the word in my life? Well, hunger. The devil's temptation to the Lord, to, to Christ, was over food. I can only imagine. I do not, I'm telling you, I do not fast. I, I will confess before men and angels at this point. I do not do well with fasting. And I know that fasting is a good thing. It's, it's good for your spirituality. It's, it's good um, physically as well. But I'm telling you what, every time that I decide to fast, to be able to spend some time in communion, special time in communion with God, I become so distracted with my hunger that like, my brain goes absolutely fuzzy and, and I, I, my body just begins to shut down, okay? Just begins to shut down. And, and all I can do is, is lay in bed and dream about when I'm next going to eat food. <laughs> Not a good thing. But here... When Christ had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, I mean, that was what it, it means to experience real hunger. And when the devil comes to him, what is Christ's response? Allah, man shall live by every word of God. What, when he what happens when the devil comes to us and he tempts us with, with weariness? I'm telling you what, this is one of the greatest, the greatest things that sabotages the power of the word of God in my life. I have committed every day, every morning when I wake up, um, besides other times during the day when I spend time in communion with God, I spend an hour and a half, two hours in the morning studying the Word of God and in prayer. And I tell you, it is, it is such an old trick. I, I know that you all have experienced it. The minute I get up and I open up the Word of God, instantly the devil is pushing weariness on me. And I, I'm just sitting there just... And the devil is, is putting me to sleep. Weariness. I wonder why I don't get to the breakfast table. And it's like, oh, here comes this wonderful apple crisp. And I'm like, oh, I love this. And I'm asleep. Does that happen? No, friends, because when I sit down to the breakfast table, I'm hungry. And I'm ready to eat that food that my, my dear sister or my mother has prepared for me. Friends, when I sit down at the feet of Jesus to eat of the word of God, am I hungry? 
When the enemy comes and he says, you're so tired, you deserve to have a break. You should just sleep. I mean, you went to bed late last night or, or you had such and such a commitment and you know that you're going to have to be driving all day today. So therefore, you should sleep in and, and you know, so you're not falling asleep at the wheel. I mean, that could endanger your life. And if you endanger your life, then you're not going to be able to serve God, right? So sleep. We should say, Allah. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Compromise. Another thing that sabotages the power of the word of God in our lives. And I, and I wish I had more time to get into this, but I don't. I'm running out of time. But friends, whatever it may be in your life, perhaps you think, I, I, I'm so, I, I've been living such a life of discipline. I've been giving of my life to God. I deserve a break. Maybe it's just that one little thing, that one little skeleton in your closet, the thing that you go behind the door, maybe it's a candy bar. Maybe it's one little, little secret little sin that you cherish, that one thing. And the devil says to you, you have been such, such a good boy. You live such a rigorous, disciplined, holy life. You deserve to have this one little sin. You deserve to sit back and chill for just a moment, to partake of this entertainment that you know is not right, that is not benefiting your relationship with God. You deserve it. What should be our response? Allah. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Get thee behind me, Satan. The power of a word-driven life. Friends, God had a dream. He had a dream for a people, a nation, a generation. He dreamed for them to be his special representatives, a nation separated unto godliness, to reflect him to a watching world. God dreamed to bless this people with his special favor and to make them great and to fill them with the fullness of God, to give them a temple for worship and there forever to dwell. But this people did not regard the dream as their highest honor, their highest privilege, yea, their highest duty. And so... They left off their lives of separate consecration. They intermingled and connected with idolaters. They left off true worship in their temple. They forgot the God who gave them everything and dreamed to make them great. And so they frustrated God's dream. And because they were no longer connected with the God that promised to protect them, a nation that was stronger than they swept in and took them captive, destroyed their homes, destroyed their city, destroyed their temple, destroyed their worship. It is into this, this dismal circumstance that a man of God arises. Actually, quite a few. There was Daniel and his companions Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest, Nehemiah, but one that I want to talk about as we close. His name was Ezra. He, he was an ordinary man, you could say. 
He was born into the house uh, of the priests, but he was just an ordinary scribe in the king's house. But this man, this man burned with a passion as, as he was looking and he saw the desolation of the worship of God among his people because of the fact that they had turned from God. His heart burned within him and he turned to the scriptures as the answer. He was not satisfied with his spiritual condition. He longed to be in full harmony with God. He longed for wisdom to carry out the divine will. And so he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. That comes from Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. He experienced a new and thorough conversion and determined to master the, the records of sacred history. That he might use this knowledge to bring blessing and light to his people. He endeavored to gain a heart preparation for the work he believed was before him. He sought God earnestly that he might be a wise teacher in Israel. As he learned to yield mind and will to divine control that was brought into his life the principles of true sanctification. He developed into a man of extraordinary learning and became a ready scribe in the law of Moses. These qualifications made him an eminent man in the Medo-Persian kingdom. As he communicated to others the truth he learned, his capacity for labor increased. He became a man of piety and zeal. He was the Lord's witness to the world of the power of Bible truth to ennoble the daily life. His name was Ezra. A man that, that realized that the worship of God must be, be restored back to the temple of Jerusalem. A man that turned to the scriptures and he poured his life into understanding them. He received a conversion through the process and those scriptures, this quote that I just read, the, the, what I just read came from um, Prophets and Kings, page 608, 609 if you want to go read, back and read it. But the scriptures made him into a man of extraordinary learning, inspiration tells us. Friends? God has a dream. It's for a people, a nation, a generation. He dreams for them to be his special representatives, a nation separated unto godliness, to reflect him to a watching world. God dreams to bless this people. He dreams to make them great and to fill them with the fullness of God, to give them a temple for worship and there forever to dwell. But this generation, friends, they, did, they do not realize the privilege, yea, the duty that they have to that dream. And so, because they are no longer connected to the God that plans to protect them, an enemy that is greater than they sweeps in, destroying their homes, destroying their heart temple, destroying their worship, and they are taken off into a land of captivity and death, the land of sin. And my question this morning, as we close, my question is, who will be the Ezra to restore the true worship of God to the heart temples of those in this hurting world? Who is going to be the Ezra that is going to dedicate their life to the study of the scriptures, that is going to learn the truths so that through them, God might empower them to lead this generation that has gone astray back to the word of God? 
who is going to be that Ezra and that Ezra is. I'm going to make a, a very short appeal. Friends, if you, have been, if you have been convicted as I have, and you, you want to dedicate the rest of your life to this special cause, this special cause of, of, of studying the word of God to show ourselves approved, of inculcating those truths that through us God might make us teachers in this generation that has gone astray. If you feel God is calling to your heart to do that, to spend time with him every day in studies of the scriptures, in memorizing the word of God, no matter what your vocation may be, whether it be you're a doctor, you're a pastor, you're a teacher, you're a mechanic, to allow our lives to lead this generation back to true worship of God. If that is your desire, if it is your desire to be that Ezra or Ezra is for this generation, then I would ask for you to bow down on your knees. And if it is not possible for you to bow, to raise your hands towards heaven as we pray. Father, we want to be the fulfillment of your dream. We are upon our knees or raising our hands as, as a sign that we are dedicating our lives to value the scriptures above our mortal life, to value you, Father, and to dedicate our lives through, through the teachings of your truths, through the, the relationship that you want to, to demonstrate to the world through us of a living and powerful God. This is our, this is our commitment before you today. And I ask that you will help us, weak though we be, to keep it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.